Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I don't know what percentage of you were tuned in on the weekend to watch the Much Music Video Awards. I have no idea what the percentage would be. Some of you will have. Some of your kids or grandkids or neighbors or friends will have. But nonetheless, doesn't matter. I will fill you in. Because I saw a video clip today. It was a collection of videos that was taken from the red carpet at the Much Music Video Awards, which, by the way, is a celebration of today's music. You can imagine what it is. It's Much Music, and it's their awards. Anyway, this collection, this, this compilation video that they put together was a bunch of celebrities and artists, all young, appropriately, for the occasion, but a number of celebrities and artists who were being asked two things. A, what music do they like to listen to when they're getting stoned? And B, what are their thoughts on the legalization of cannabis? Well, this is this is predictable in what they said. They came up with plenty of songs that they liked to listen to when they were getting stoned. And to a person, at least the ones that were captured on the video, they all were wildly enthusiastic about the legalization. Nobody said, no, nah, I don't think so. They all were in favor of it. And again, maybe there were others there who didn't feel that way, but they were not shown. So why does this matter? Why are we bringing this up now? Well, I'll tell you, there's two possible reasons. The first one is, that doctors say, and we've seen many studies to this effect and heard many doctors talking about this as we've grown, uh, drawn closer and closer to the legalization date. Many doctors have told us that cannabis use, regular cannabis use, has the potential to damage under or undeveloped brains, which basically means for their description, under 25 years old. Kids who are still, and young people who are still not 25, your brain is still developing. Regular use of cannabis has the potential to damage your brain. Secondly, study after study has shown that kids are affected, motivated, impacted by celebrities. So what is this going to do? Is this going to have an effect on something? Rebecca Jessamine is the Director of Policy for the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction. She joins us now. Rebecca, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. I think you, when I called you today to ask if you could do this, you said that you had stumbled upon the same video. Um, when you hear these things, does this kind of thing concern you, or do you just look at it and say, well, it's just, no, it's just different. There's more people just having an opinion on cannabis. Well, certainly everybody has an opinion on cannabis. There's no doubt about that. It's a little bit predictable, um, but it is concerning because, as you said, uh, youth are very influenced by celebrity endorsements. And actually, if you look at the Cannabis Act, uh, celebrity endorsement of cannabis products is illegal, and it's illegal for a reason. But that would be an official paid endorsement as opposed to just a celebrity saying, hey, I really like it. That's correct. So they're fully, I mean, as anyone is, I'm I'm not arguing for a censorship position here, but they're entitled to say what they feel about cannabis if they are asked about it. They can't do it for a company on a commercial, but they can answer all they want. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. I guess what I'd like to see is um, more celebrities taking the opportunity to use their the platform and the influence that they have to, you know, kind of promote some messages around responsible use. Um, you know, we we have to be realistic in our expectations. Um, so not necessarily advocating for abstinence, but recognizing that there are harms associated with use and that there are also ways to reduce the risk. Let me hit on two things that you just said there. Start with the first one. I don't want to be terribly prudish on this whole thing, uh, but why not 
some celebrities lobbying for abstinence. Is there? I mean, it, it doesn't seem to me we we would push for that. With so some celebrities might say to younger kids, "Don't drink." And some celebrities would say, you know what, when you're 20 years old or 19 or whatever, don't have sex. We have people who are arguing for abstinence in different things. Why not for that? I think the key message is is really uh, delay use as long as possible. And certainly the, the key message to communicate is the safest use is, is no use, of course. Um, and, and we know that even though we have, you know, we hear a lot about how all use have access anyway and everybody's doing it. Um, the surveys tell us that I'm, that's not actually true. So, you know, in, in Ontario, for example, I just checked the statistics and the highest rate among Ontario students is among grade 12, and that's 37%. So, you know, it's relatively high, but that's still saying that the majority are not using. What percentage, though, your guess, and, and I mean, you're you're in this all the time, talking about this and dealing with this. What's your guess of what that number is going to look like, say, a year from now after it's been legal for almost a year? It's really hard to say because if we look at the numbers in Washington and Colorado, we actually didn't see a big increase in youth use. And one of the theories behind that is because youth already have a fair amount of access, those who would use anyway probably already are. And we really have to remember that just because we're legalizing for adults doesn't mean we're legalizing for youth. So in Ontario, those under 19 are still prohibited from possessing cannabis. Before we carry on, are, is it your position, is it the center's position that people who are adults who are 30, 35, 40, 45, whatever, if they want to use the stuff responsibly, that that's their thing, go ahead and do it? We don't really take a position so much. Okay. Uh, what we do is pre- present the evidence. Okay. So what we try to do is, is educate people and present the evidence on how do you, you know, if you're going to choose to use, how to do so uh, in the least risky way possible. Okay, but but I think you would also agree, and, and I, I said it off the top, I never asked if you actually agree with the position, but it seems to me I've heard many, many people and talked to a number of doctors on the show who say that for younger people, this it's being positioned, it's being painted as a completely harmless recreational thing when a number of doctors are saying between a certain age, if you use it regularly, you can actually damage yourself. Yeah, and the big risk there really is, uh, as you said, those who start use early and those who use more frequently. We know that those who um, develop dependence, for example, uh, if you start use earlier, uh, your risk in- increases uh, to 12% for developing dependence versus about 5 to 9% of those who begin use later. So, you know, that's just a very clear indication where we're looking at potentially almost doubling the risk of developing a dependence issue. But we also need to look more broadly at, you know, why youth who are beginning use early are using heavily or frequently. What else is going on there? Because that could very well be an indicator that there's there's potentially more issues, um, you know, health, social, educational that we need to look at. We know, uh, we've heard from the government that uh, leading in when this becomes legal, that the stores where you can buy this will not be allowed to be flashy, that the, the they'll be like plain, boring dispensaries, no razzle-dazzle in them. It's, you're going to walk in and it's going to be very business-like and you're going to grab it and it's not going to be done in a way that's going to necessarily be trying to attract younger people. But again, going back to this video and the discussion overall, I have to think that when celebrities start touting it and talking about how wonderful it is, I don't care how boring the store is, that's going to trump all that stuff. It is. It's certainly a difficult message to counteract. And one thing we need to look very closely at is is how we can communicate more effectively with youth so that they can apply a critical lens to the various messaging they're, they're hearing, because we know they're getting messaging from the internet, from social media, from celebrities. 
um, about how you know great cannabis is and how it can change your life. But are they getting reliable information? And we know that they're looking for that information. We've gone out and talked to youth across Canada. They have a lot of questions about what are the risks. You know, we've heard that this can damage my brain. How? Tell me why. And they really want those answers. So would, we need to get better at giving them to them. Would you ever think about trying to find celebrities who would offer that message? Is that, I mean, is that a way to counteract? Is a celebrity endorsement the way to counteract a celebrity endorsement of sorts? That's such an interesting point because there's so much stigma around substance use that it's actually more difficult to find celebrities who are willing to speak about their own experiences if they've encountered harm. We've made great strides in terms of of getting some high-profile spokespeople, for example, for mental health. But we still see a lot of stigma around substance use where there's there's a greater hesitancy for for people to really speak up about it. Well, and based on this video and based on the comments that I'm hearing in this, and I know it's a very small sample size and it's, it's, you know, we're, we're just getting into it, but it would seem to me, and maybe to you as well, watching this video, and people can see this online, by the way, it would seem to me that cannabis is going to be the new cool, that if you want to have street cred, if you want to be a, you know, a celebrity who has some sort of cool factor, you're probably not going to be the one who stands up and says, yeah, don't smoke pot. It seems like that's going to be a tough thing to find someone who will make that argument. I agree. And, you know, again, that's where we have to be strategic and how we can find effective ways to communicate with youth to make sure that they're getting the evidence about how to make responsible choices. You know, the other funny thing about this, and when I say funny, I don't mean funny, ha ha. I mean, more funny, ironic is that it's not just kids. I mean, we're talking about younger people, but I'm thinking back to, we were just talking about this on our show here on Friday about celebrity endorsements or celebrity talk about health things that oftentimes are just wacky. And people will follow celebrities. I don't know why it is, but you know, when Angelina Jolie uh, had breast cancer and decided to have a preemptive mastectomy, we, we found stories that thousands of women apparently went to their doctors and started asking about this. If there's a celebrity that says something is good, for whatever reason, that seems to be enough for some people to believe that it must be good. Very true. So what, okay, so what do we do about this? And, and I know you, you've started to say that you, you try to counteract this, but... Do we have to wait and see what impact this is actually going to have before you can counteract it? Or can you do anything before then? The sooner we get the evidence, the messaging, some effective communication going with youth and with the broader public, you're, you're dead on right there in terms of the importance of educating everybody, not just youth. Um, for example, some of the, the issues they've encountered in, in Colorado were around people who were eating edibles. Um, which I should remind are, are not legal on October 17th. That legislation will follow sometime in 2019. Um, but people consuming edibles who didn't know about the effects and didn't know that the effect took time to set in and therefore overconsumed um, and ended up, you know, having adverse reactions and, and sometimes going to emergency. So that type of public education, even for adults, is, is really important. Um, so that, again, it's, it's about how to use responsibly, how to use more safely. Rebecca Jessamine, the Director of Policy for the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction. I appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Have a great evening. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, I want to ask you one quick question, and it's one very simple question, but it's a question that I'm willing to bet I know the answer to without checking with you before we even start on this one. Let's do this. When you were a child, 
and you were going to go, if you were ever going to go play outside, especially near the woods, what would be something or a couple things that your mom or your dad might have said to you as far as warnings of things not to do? If you're going to go into a grassy, overgrown, woody area, what should you not do? Um, don't try to climb any trees that are too tall. That, yes. Uh, don't try to pet any of the particularly snarly animals. Yes. And what should you not eat? Oh, any berries or, uh, uh, chocolate you find on the ground. That's true. And one other thing, don't ever eat the mushrooms that you're going to find (laughs) growing in the forest. Yes. Oh, no. Many people, you skip that one because probably because that seems very obvious. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Right. The berries may look really appealing and so you go, oh, I mean, you're a kid. I think I want to try those berries because they look nice and red or purple or something. And then they're bad for you. So mom and dad have to tell you that. Or as you say, you don't want to climb the trees, uh, eating the chocolate on the ground. While I th- but the mushrooms, you know, mushrooms can, I don't think too many people need a warning because who thinks of breaking off a mushroom in the middle of the woods and just eating a mushroom? I actually recall being warned just because I, oh, I yes. did see some when I was younger and thought, oh, look, mushrooms. And my parents were like, okay, but those are never edible and never go near those, Will. See, thank you. Thank you. So your parents did a good job parenting, as most parents did. Well, almost all parents. Oh, no. I want to take us today to Annandale, Virginia, where a family decided that they were not only going to go for a walk in the woods together, because families do that. It's a lovely thing to do on a nice summer day. Let's go for a hike. Let's go in the woods. But somehow, mom and dad... We're not the smartest mom and dad of all time. And along the way, they found some mushrooms. And not only did they find the mushrooms with their kids along the way, it was a family of four. Not only did they find the mushrooms, but they somehow mom and dad decided, hey, let's pick these mushrooms. And not only did mom and dad find the mushrooms and pick the mushrooms, but they said, let's take the mushrooms home with us. And not only did they find the mushrooms, pick the mushrooms, take the mushrooms home. But then when they got there, they decided, what do you think? They were going to chop them up and make a delicious dinner, steak and mushrooms. Absolutely correct. Oh, Absolutely no. correct. Well, you can imagine what happened. Oh. You can imagine what happened. Now, this is a life lesson for everybody else. But it turns out that fire, uh, Fairfax County fire officials had to respond to the home because of the absolute level of gastrointestinal distress the entire family found themselves in. Now, I'm thinking this is, first of all, this is a really awkward phone call to have to make to the fire department because, I mean, you're not, first of all, you're probably not telling them why. You're just calling to say the entire family is exploding. Help us. But then the fire department and the paramedics and everyone get to the house And they start to try and figure out what's the problem? What's the cause? Is the house leaking carbon monoxide or some other gas or whatever else? Well, no. Um, We picked some mushrooms and ate them. So the the paramedics had no idea what kind of mushrooms these were. So they, there were a couple thankfully left over, which they, one of the brilliant paramedics thought enough to take a picture on his cell phone, send that picture, text that picture to someone who went to someone to someone, they finally found a mushroom expert who told them, and it all came back then a few minutes later as they were being treated, what kind of mushrooms they were. They are called, now I may pronounce this incorrectly, chlorophyllum 
molybdates. That does not sound good. Or green spored lapiota. With the working name, <laughs> the vomiter. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the lesson for the day. If you're going for a walk in the woods and you're thinking, you know, if we come across any mushrooms that we might want to take home to make a salad, at least take a picture or have a phone or have a website up where you can check and see. Because if you pick and eat mushrooms with the name, the vomiter, chances are your evening is not going to go well. I'm just saying. Chances are any food you eat named the vomiter is going to end poorly for you. Tell your kids, don't pick the mushrooms. Mom and dad, just because you're adults doesn't mean the mushrooms aren't going to be the vomiter. They're okay. This apparently this particular brand of mushroom doesn't cause death. Thank goodness. Otherwise we probably wouldn't be laughing about it right now. It doesn't cause death. It just causes several days of extreme gastrointestinal distress. But you know what they say, the family... No, we won't go there. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We bring in Don Robertson of the Dundas Real McCoys of ComChoice Realty, a regular guest here on Monday evenings, which today is not. I've been here since last night at 7. <laughs> Waiting outside, <laughs> peering in the window. Let me in. Uh, I had to fill in. I've, I was working for Scott Thompson yesterday. Scott was ailing yesterday. He's better today, thank goodness. But I was filling in, so we put off Don for one night, but here we are back again. And I got a lot of stuff I want to get to, Don, uh, but not necessarily stuff that we normally would handle. We're going to talk some sports things. But let me start with this. Uh, I found this story fascinating this week for a variety of reasons. There was discussion that NBA owners would like to have access to players' mental health records the same way that they have access to their physical health records. If you've blown out a knee, if you've got a wonky back, the NBA owners, the teams, before they make a trade or sign you to a multi, multi, multi-million dollar deal are entitled to know what your physical condition is. And they are saying, well, we should also be entitled to know what your mental condition is before we commit that kind of money to you. Now, this is a controversial, to say the least, position to take because there are those who are saying, wait a second, so you're going to penalize a player potentially? You're not going to sign him because he may be battling depression or dealing with anxiety or something like that? Should an owner who is going to pay a guy $100 million, $50 million, should an owner be able to know what the mental state of a player is? Absolutely. You don't have a problem with that? No. That's why we don't talk about things you're going to ask me beforehand. So no. You look astonished. No, I'm, well, I'm not. If ast- I'm going to invest $50 million in a basketball player, I want to know that he's okay from top to bottom. I'm not just worried about his knees. I'm worried about the whole unit. Can you imagine what would have happened if they'd have done that with Dennis Rodden, Rodman? They'd have probably still let him play. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to make a qualified choice then or decision on whether or not. But I, I think the owners are entitled to have access to all the information they need if they're going to make a $50 million investment. If I've got a client that's going to buy a $10 million piece of property, they want to know everything there is to know about that property because $10 million is a substantial investment. Sure it is. If you're going to make the well, same 500000 for a house is a substantial investment. Absolutely. I mean, no matter what it is. Well, everybody gets a home inspection done. 
or almost everybody almost does because you want to know if the foundation's okay. It's a good place to start. But you're not just worried about the foundation. You're worried about the roof and the attic to make sure there's no mold and other variable things that can matter. So if you compare the attic to the brain, it's equally important. But what's the... What about the concept? What about the idea that mental health is, you would be penalizing a guy for something that is way out of his control if he is suffering from depression. And and when you say this, I don't think that you are, I mean, I know you enough to know you're not belittling people who have mental health issues. That's not, that's not what this is, but people might say, well, if you, if you won't sign a guy because he's got depression issues, you're being unfair to him. Well, it, and, and it, and it, you've read the article. I haven't. You've read the substance of it. I, I don't know if they wouldn't sign them, but I think they're entitled to know what they are signing. doesn't mean they won't sign them. There's, I mean, I've been surrounded by professional athletes for the last 40 years. Some of them are whack jobs, but they're great players. They make great contributions. And so you take the good with the bad, but I don't think that they're unentitled when they're going to make a $50 million investment to know what they're buying. The no, I'm not. I mean, I understand everybody has issues. Some people develop issues. but I And I don't think it would be a barrier if the guy, if they wanted them bad enough, but I think that it's not a bad thing for them to at least be aware of what they're buying. Here's the really interesting part about this discussion. And, and w- by the way, in case anyone's tuning in and saying, well, they're making fun, they're mocking this. We're not mocking this at all. This is not about mocking something. It's about a couple of things. It's about a massive investment in somebody in an athlete. But the other thing is this, Don, that we have heard recently, many times, I know you've heard this, I'm sure many of the people listening have heard this, we've heard people say, it's not a weakness. Mental health is not a weakness, it's a sickness. And it's no different, we've heard people say, it's no different than if you have cancer. You treat the cancer, mental health, you treat the mental health. But it seems interesting to me, and, and I'm having trouble with this one, to be honest with you. It seems interesting to me that we will say that and believe that, but then when we say, okay, when it comes to athletics or to signing a guy, let's treat it the same way we treat a physical ailment. You say, well, no, you can't do that because it's very different. That's, that's to me, the tricky part of this discussion. You either must follow through. You must be consistent. It's either an illness or a sickness or an injury of sorts the same way a physical injury or illness or sickness is, or it isn't. But now it seems some people, and I don't know, and again, it it causes me discomfort to even talk about this in some ways, but some people would clearly be saying, yeah, it's an illness until it's not an illness that fits with how we want to deal with an illness. It becomes very complicated if you if you start parsing it and turning it into something that you don't want it to be. Clearly over the last few decades, there have been sports teams that have turned a blind eye to illnesses such, such as alcoholism, uh, drug abuse. Um, back in the 80s, uh, there were Major League Baseball players getting suspended for 25 games because it's the third time they've been caught uh, um, with cocaine, and they didn't get rid of them. They gave them more chances. I don't think we're talking about taking chances away from anybody. I think we're talking about knowing what you're getting when you're getting into it if you're going to make a substantial investment. Well, I think there's there's two possible ways to look at this. The one is if Michael Jordan, before he signed a new contract with the Bulls, if they found out that Michael Jordan had suffered from depression, I don't think the Bulls are saying, yeah, you go somewhere else. We don't want you. They are not going to do that. What they're going to say then is, 
this is something we need to treat so you can be at your best. So there is a treatable or a treating aspect. Now, that said, if it was Bob Schmarcola, who is the 13th man who is never going to play, probably if they found out that he was dealing with some mental health issue, they would not sign that guy if he was not someone who was going to help their team. But that's the same as if he had a wonky knee. I was going to say, if he had a soft knee, they'd be saying the It'd same thing. be the same thing. thing. The way Josh Donaldson was throwing the ball to first base. At the beginning of the year. You, would, you wouldn't have, you, the Hamilton Cardinals wouldn't have signed him. But the Jays at that point weren't going to say, get lost, don't be on our team anymore. So we the, are going to fix you so you can then be a valuable player. So there was two, there was two schools of thought when Donaldson was skipping the ball over to first place. One was a dead arm. The other conversation was it's all in his head. They're paying him $23 million a year. So if, if someone does have, uh, if they do want to know the mental state, um, I, your point is excellent. It was, I should have articulated better. But it, 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 things like that are treatable. So they want to know if they need to manage that like they do his wonky knee. And if you get an everyday basketball player, baseball player, um, and he needs to rest, and you get up by five runs, you're going to take him out so he gets the rest he needs. So you can provide the care that he requires. It doesn't mean you're not going to have him on your team, but you asked me if, if I thought it was fair. I think I think if you're investing, we're using the number, I'm using the number of $50 million, you're entitled to know. I wonder what will happen because the, the blowback against the NBA owners asking for this information has been strong. Many, many people say, no, you have no right to that. That's a completely different part of their life that you are not permitted to delve into and know about. Fair enough. If if that's the position that people want to take, then okay. But I then wonder how long it's going to be till a player or an agent says, well, wait a second. Why are you entitled to have my health records about my ankle surgery or whatever before you sign me? If you want me, you sign me and take me at your best guess. Because we hear every single time there's a trade, we hear, well, he cleared his physical. The trade is being held up just while he goes through his physical. We, we've never heard a trade being held up for a mental evaluation. And, and again, it, it sounds ridiculous and it sounds uncomfortable. But if that's the case, I, I could see down the road a player saying, a really good player saying, no, you're not entitled to my physical records. You can sign me or you can not sign me. You can trade for me or you can not trade for me, but you don't get to see ahead of time what I got. So what are you going to do when an agent... Uh, the conversation comes up and player A and player B are being contemplated to be signed by an NBA franchise. And they sign player B. And player A's agent says, how can you do that? You know he's got issues. If that's important to you, you you should have signed my guy. Wait till an agent and a player start using it as leverage to get their guy signed versus another guy getting signed. That's a whole different kettle of fish. If they open that Pandora's box, it's going to come out. There's a well. I'm sure. I'm sure it comes out behind closed doors all the time now. There, there would be. This would be to me. The NBA is not even the league that I kind of expected where this would be coming up. The league I really thought. No, no. The league where I thought that this would be an issue would be the NFL, yeah. because of the CTE, because of the concerns about head injuries, because of. Do you have the right to sign a guy or to check a guy to see if he's showing signs of depression or other things that sometimes result from concussions? That's the league I thought this would be an issue. I wonder how often the conversation comes up when a guy has been convicted of assault and uh, 
gun possession or a crime, committed a crime, um, whether it's the NFL or the NBA, the NFL comes to mind more quickly than the NBA, those guys still get signed. So if a guy's if a guy is using a gun to commit a crime, would it not be somewhat of a quantum leap to think that he's absolutely perfectly mental mentally stable? Like to no, my knowledge, no. you've never committed a crime with a gun. I've never done that. So, but I think if you did, I go something may be wrong. There's there's a there's a because it's not Bradley's a na- got a loose screw. It's not a natural thing for someone to do that. It's not a normal thing for someone for the average person to but do they that. They sign those guys up. Well, they do, and so again, it comes back to my position that I started with, and that is. Doesn't matter, even if they whether they do or don't allow mental health records to be part of the thing. If you can play, they'll say, "We'll work with you to try and help you cure or fix your mental health issues." If you are a nobody, it may push you out of the league. But to me, that's again no different than if you have bad ankles or bad knees or bad hips or you have some other situation that if you are not healthy, period, physically healthy. If you're not healthy. You will be pushed out of the league just as well. I, I, I'm with you on that point. I feel that anyone who would say that asking for mental health records, which is just going to push people out of the league and prevent them from being signed, is not accurate and, and is missing the point. You will get a chance to play if you can play the same way if you had physical ailments. You would get that chance. Again, I go back to Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Pick your guy. If, if LeBron James... They'll get them the help they need to help them cope. If LeBron James tweaked his knee this offseason before he had signed with the Lakers. Yeah, before he signed with the Lakers. Would he? Would the Lakers have said, oh, pff, no thanks? Of course they wouldn't. They would have said, we'll get you doctors, we'll get, as you say, we'll get you treatment, we'll fix you because you can play. And so if LeBron James had showed up and said, I've been having anxiety issues, like legitimate anxiety, mental health quality mental health issue, anxiety issues, do you think the Lakers would have said, sorry, LeBron, get out of here? No, they would have said, we will find you the best possible help to try and get that resolved. I, and I think, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the teams knowing so they can provide the help that would be required. If any help's required, perhaps there's none. Um, I, you might be familiar with a, a minor pro hockey team that I ran in Brantford and won a championship and I think it was 1992-93. Vaguely familiar. I'm not sure all the athletes that we had would have passed all the tests required. I can think, I covered that team working in Brantford and I can think of one or two who I would have had some questions but about. They were, they were pretty good hockey players but we won a championship. And if you were a professional franchise, like I, not a minor league, if you were a, an NHL team, an NBA team, a major league team, and those players had been good enough players to be contributing factors to a championship team. If the Toronto Maple Leafs today, if let's not pick even their top guy. Let's not say, let's not use Austin Matthews, but let, let's say, I mean, I don't know, pick your, your goalie, Anderson. All right, so he's not your very best player, but he's a significant player on your team. If he, Big key. If he shows up and says, I'm not sleeping because I'm, anxious, I'm depressed, I'm whatever else. Are the Leafs just going to throw the guy out and say, you see, this is... They're going to get him the help that he needs. This is the right? position that I have. This is why I th- I go back and forth on this one. And I, I, I like to have a solid opinion, but I've been back and forth on this. I see the privacy issues 
because of the the what's the word I'm looking for that that, that comes with this the um, drawing a blank on the word now. Um, so if if um, Theo Fleur, Fleury the read stigma, a book, the stigma, the, yes. st- the stigma that comes. So I, I get the privacy because of the stigma that comes with depression or mental health. I get that. We're not past that stigma yet. I don't even think it has to be public. No upper body injuries, lower body injuries. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're not going to. They're not going to say uh, Scott Radley's uh, fighting depression, so he's not going to play for two months while we get him help. They will say that if he has an addiction problem. But there are players that have stepped away from the game because they've had mental health issues, and we know of those players. It's not. It. This would not be the first time ever that we've heard of mental health issues holding a player back. Theo Fleury wrote a book, and I don't. I, I have no idea if there's any um, validity to what I'm going to say, but some of the teams that he played for may have thought he had some some issues throughout his career. He won a Stanley Cup, wrote a book. He's been an advocate. I mean, he's but I think Theo he's really would... helped a lot of young people, I believe. But he came clean, and it, I'd be hard pressed to think that somebody didn't think that he may have been dealing with some I demons. I think Theo Fleury would say he was dealing with demons. I think he did in his book. So, and again, where the, the where this goes south, where this thing goes off the rails, if you do this, is the first time that a team becomes aware of a player's mental health issues and then chooses not to sign him. And then the agent is going to say to the team, you are backwards, you're whatever else, you decided not to sign my guy because he's dealing with depression or because he's schizophrenic or whatever else. It, it, I mean, that that does get into a delicate area, mm-hmm. but but let me go back where we started from. There are teams that have turned down guys for meant for physical conditions and nobody says, you know what, you're backwards as a team because this guy, yeah, he's got a knee with no cartilage left, but you know, you should have still signed him because he's a good player, even though he has this issue. It becomes very difficult. If you are going to make the argument, as is often made now, that mental health is no different from physical ailments, except for the fact that one is an actual tangible thing you can put a cast on or you can do surgery on, and the other is something that requires a different kind of treatment, but they are both illnesses or sicknesses or injuries, then I don't know how you suddenly say one is very different from the other. If you, you can't argue they're the same and then say, but they're so different that you have to be treated differently. I, I don't know how you do that. I'd be smarter guy than me figure it out. It's an interesting one though, for sure. And there, and as I say, just tons of different people with tons of different opinions on this one. And I don't know that we're going to get an, well, the answer we're going to get, I'm sure is, Player association is going to stay. Yeah, but you're, the, the answer right now is, and, and the, old, the the leading view, it seems, is, no, you can't allow the teams to have guys' mental health records. Where this becomes, and we've got to go to a break. Are where, they not allowed to now? No, no. And where this could be, Don, I think something that becomes a bigger issue is what happens if you sign a player and you're not permitted to see his mental health records and then he pulls an Aaron Hernandez and he goes out and kills someone or does something to harm himself or herself. It could be on a female team. And the pressure is on, why did you not help this person? And your answer is, 
we weren't allowed to know what was wrong with him and we were not aware of this. Then we'll see if the answer is still, no, you can't have those records. And maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. It's going to happen. The only way I think it happens is if, let's say it was Don Robertson who signed and you killed someone and then someone sued the team saying you should have done something to save me from him. And then you can say, we had no idea. We weren't allowed to see those records. But I, I, I mean, listen, I get the stigma. I get why people would not want this. I completely understand that. We'll see where it goes. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. They announced, I don't know, last week sometime, last Wednesday or last Thursday, that the Tiger Woods-Phil Mickelson one-on-one golf matchup is now official. It's going to happen. They're going to face off one-on-one. One guy gets $9 bucks. The other guy gets a pat on the back, I guess, and a thanks for coming out. Maybe a nice lunch in the clubhouse afterwards. I'm not sure. My thought on this is this is a really, really dangerous thing for sports fans. There's going to be people who will buy this. I think it's 29 or 39 bucks. I saw the price. This is a dangerous thing for sports fans because if tons of people sign up to watch this event, it is going to set the tone and set the table and give lots of promoters, lots of ideas of other ways to separate people from their cash because they are willing to spend money to watch games. I think it'll lead to more pay-per-view games. I think it'll lead to all kinds of stuff that we will not necessarily like. Before I get into that, will you be buying this? Would you be buying the pay-per-view on this one? Because you're a golf guy. You're a golf yeah, fan. I, do. I like watching golf on the weekend, especially like watching uh, Brooke Anderson win the Ladies Canadian Open. Uh, I don't think I'd do it. I I don't know, but I right off the bat I would say no. I'm not going to do it. I look at it and I say if people would have done it ten years ago. Well, maybe, maybe, and I boy, if they had if these guys had been willing to do it ten years ago, the promoters really would have made some dough. First of all, I don't believe for one minute that if Tiger win Tiger Woods wins the nine million dollars, Phil Mickelson gets nothing, and vice versa. Well. I'm sure this is on top of their appearance fee and or the biggest argument was what's Taggart's cut of the 29 and what's Phil Nicholson's cut of the 29. The $9 million's got nothing to do with it. It's got to throw a big number out there so people seemingly it it's more meaningful. Neither one of them need $9 million. No, no. I we, talked, we talked about this the other night that, that for Tiger Woods, $9 million bucks is like sneezing in his hand. Yeah. It, it, it means nothing. It really, I mean... What's he going to do with nine million more dollars when he's making fifty or sixty or a hundred or two hundred or five hundred a year in endorsements? He may well be getting paid to go to every tournament he goes to right now. If he's not, he's an idiot because he and can. He's not an idiot. He's not an idiot. If he's not being paid, I mean, the PGA does not, the tour does not pay guys to go. No. Uh, at least that's the official position. But when you look at how tournaments are affected by Tiger Woods showing up, he. If I'm him, if I'm his agent, I'm quietly saying, you want full galleries, you want lots of coverage, you want TV ratings, what are you going to do? And he, you know what? If I was the agent, I wouldn't even necessarily be asking that it go into Tiger's pocket. I'd be saying, look, he's got a foundation. You don't have to give it to him. You don't have to pay my client. You can pay, you can put charitable money into the foundation and we're all happy here because he's got lots of dough. I think Tourism Ontario have made worse investments than paying him a million and a half just to play in the Canadian Open in Oakville this year because of the CBS ratings. As long as CBS agreed to 
feature of the Toronto Harbor Front and Hamilton Harbor Front. Um, I, I don't even think it'd be a bad return on investment. Well, if they play in Hamilton next year, if you were if you were the Canadian Golf Canada or you were the Canadian Open Organizing Committee or whomever else, yeah, if you were going to say, we'll pay $2 million into Tiger Woods Foundation if you will show up. Two and a half million if you make the cut. Three million if you make the cut. Would you do it? You might. You might think about it. Well, if I'm Tiger Woods, first thing I say is you give me the money and I'll put it into the foundation because I want the tax write-off. But I understand what you're saying. Sure. So will anybody watch? I don't know. There's a lot of golf I think a lot of people will watch. He's had a big year, so there's more interest. Last year at this time, I don't think it sells. This year, you know, he's flirting, flirting with majors again. The issue, though, to me is not will people watch, because they will watch. We know there's going to be people who will watch. They will get hundreds of thousands of people who will fork out, because the one thing they've done smart in this is kept the price to a level that it's not, you're not going to get killed by your spouse if you sign up for this thing and he or she is not a golf fan and you decide you want to. There are some boxing matches it's where... Gonna, it's going to cost somebody a new pair of shoes, I can tell you that. Well, or it's vice... Still cheap, so it's still 100 bucks. There's boxing matches where it's 129 bucks for a pay-per-view and your spouse, male or female, are looking at you like, seriously? We have we have home repairs we need to do, we got groceries and you're paying 129 bucks and inevitably those matches either stink or end 25 seconds into them. Holding a pay-per-view for 29 bucks, you can almost defend that. But again, I look at this- four hours of entertainment. Same as two people going to a movie. Probably cheaper. And that part is fine. But again, I look at this and I say, I see this as being really dangerous for the sports world if you are a sports fan, because if this is successful as it could be, like, I'm shocked. I know the Leafs, for example. We tried it. Have done it on Maple Leaf TV, on Leafs TV, yeah. where they put some games only on Leafs TV. I'm frankly shocked that more games aren't there or aren't tucked away somewhere on a pay-per-view somewhere. I think somebody determined it didn't work as well as they wanted it to, or they'd still be doing it and there'd be more of them. You, What would happen, we're jumping way ahead of ourselves, what would happen if the Leafs were to make the Stanley Cup Finals and... Sportsnet or whomever else said these games are only available on pay-per-view. Well, I'm too old to ever see that happen, so it won't be my problem. But I, um, if you, if they got to the finals and it was the first time in there 50, would be people pay a hundred bucks a game to watch. Sure, there would. Sure, there would. And there'd be all kinds of them, and I'd be one of them. But there would be all kinds of them. There would be. You would not get because right now, a good Leaf game. A good playoff game, the times they've been in the playoff, you will get two and a half, three million people tuning in. You won't get that. You don't but need if, that. But if you got 500,000 people paying 50 bucks a game. Yeah, but the other thing that enters into it is your rink board advertising, your in-house advertising, and everything else. So the advertiser, uh, Tim Hortons, are perennially there, right? What's that rink board worth to them if you're going to cut the audience from I would say 5 million people, if they're in the Stanley Cup Finals, to 500,000. What's the impact? Well, so what's the true, value? True. Now, what, would you, could you ever see, let, let's find a happy medium between these two extremes then of, of free TV, or essentially free, you're paying for your cable, but nonetheless, free TV or pay-per-view and nothing in between. What if we went in the middle? Do you think there are sports fans right now, using the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, or the Leafs as an example, who would pay 
for special services within that game. So, for example, I'm saying that you would have your, let's say the Leafs in the finals, that you would have your ability to watch the Leafs game as you know it now, but if you pay 19 bucks for this game, you will have special camera angles, you'll have access to the dressing room between periods, you'll have special interviews with the players, you'll have extra stats that are on the screen and all that stuff. Do you think people would ever pay for extras? Yep. Or have we been so, we've gotten so used to the way the game is that we don't do that now? No, there'd be people want to pay for it. They'd, they'd, they'd want the inside information the same way uh, NASCAR guys, uh, fans would want to be able to eavesdrop in on uh, the crew chief and the top drivers. And when you enhance things and you offer more, you can get it. I mean, Hockey's pay-per-view now, unless you're in your own region, right? Because the NHL package on well, the NHL Rogers network, yeah, Bell, the NHL network, or Center the, Ice, whatever it's the, called, yeah. The NFL are doing it now. They're they're doing the best they can, but they know that they need those people paying four hundred thousand dollars for a thirty-second ad during the Dallas Cowboy games to make the numbers work. Yeah, I. I I don't but, know, but they all do it, Scott. I well, mean, they do. Every one NBA package, you can. You have to pay if you want to watch all the games. Yeah, we buy the we buy the uh, the Major League Baseball. My son has the Major League Baseball. His birthday present every spring, one of his presents is that he gets the Major League package. He loves baseball, and he can watch all the games on his iPad or his phone or whatever else from yeah. all over the league. See, and I don't I don't even buy the NHL package because some of the games I want to watch I can't stay up for. So I what's the point? But Sportsnet paid what twelve billion dollars. Mm. That's a lot of coin. Like you got to really do a lot of arithmetic to say, boy, for I'll, everything we lose, we gain. The NHL, these big leagues aren't stupid. I'll be I'll be very interested. I, I don't know how many teams could pull this off. I don't know how many teams could actually. Uh, maybe two. I mean, the Leafs and the Canadians have broad enough bases across the country that you could try something like that if they got to the finals. I mean, Vancouver and Ottawa are not going to the finals anytime soon. Edmonton. You might have some success in the Edmonton market, but I don't know that you're going to get people across the country to buy in Calgary or in Winnipeg. Yeah, and you might get a few thousand people who would do it. I, but my point is I don't think that there's necessarily a massive latent Edmonton fan base buried across the country like there is with Leafs and Canadians fans. Agreed. But they're probably third. Maybe. Gretzky, now yeah, McDavid. May, yeah, I think you're probably right. You're probably right. Um but I could could you see networks, Sportsnet or whomever else, doing that with the Leafs or the Canadians if they ever made it to the finals? You know but what? I, I think depending they, how they this, figure they can sell it, if the, how this Tiger and Phil thing goes, I think is going to make a lot of TV executives, a lot of TV executives, take note of this and see whether or not there's money to be made in these kind of specialty things. It'll depend on, and I think they'll do a good job of it. They'll be entertaining. They were talking about side bets, you know, and, and if they have the personality and I don't know if either one of them do or they, cause they always have their game face on, right? Like Tiger always looks like a grump on a Sunday, even if he's well, up by 35. Well, less so stars. now, but yes, you're right. Yeah, you know, he's, he, he's getting the idea that he has to market himself and be more fan, fan friendly. But if they're both out there and they want to lay a hundred bucks on, um, who can get it closest to the pin on various shots? It'll it'll give golf fans something they've never had an opportunity. To I see would before. be fascinated, Don. We got to go to break. I'd be fascinated what would happen if they did start betting on holes 
because the folks at the PGA Tour do not want that. They don't want people seeing that the players are betting on holes. They don't want this to be a gambling thing. They, everybody knows. Yeah, but it's like Pete Rose betting on baseball. I know. And everyone Pete Rose know, bet his team was going to win. He didn't bet they were going to yeah, lose. Yeah, but everybody knows that when you go to the golf course, that when you go with your buddies, you probably throw down five bucks on yeah. a hole or something like Lots and lots of, it's not like it's a secret. I just don't know that the PGA Tour is going to want to have their top two draws, their top two players looking like degenerate gamblers on the air. And especially because I'm not thinking it's probably going to be 100 bucks. Ron Foxcroft and I play every year. We always collect money. From whom? The guys we play against. <laughs> Do you care to say who the impoverished, knowing how you golf, yeah. I'm not even sure I want to know who this impoverished sap is who loses money to you There's guys. two of them. There's wow. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, quickly, Dunks, I want to get to something else in just a moment, but... Um, Interesting quote from Troy Tulowitzki, who's missed the entire season. He's got banged up heels, and he can't run, and he can't work out, and he says that he's going to come back next year, and he's going to play, and he's going to be the Jays starting shortstop again, and on and on. And someone said, well, would you consider ever playing a different position? And his answer was, I just said I'm a shortstop. If someone's better than me, I'll pack my bags and go home. And then he goes on from there. If you're the Jays, and you're paying this guy $20 million or whatever it is. I think it's $20 million a year. Then he's got another couple of years at least. Are you not saying to him today, oh, by the way, when you come back, you're our left fielder. Are you not doing now everything possible? If he's giving the indication that if he doesn't get to be shortstop, he's going to pack it in, and I guess that means retire. I think that's what he means. He may ask for a trade, but he's untradeable with that contract. So he's basically got two choices, play or retire. If I'm the Jays and I hear that, am I not telling him right now, oh, Troy, you're playing left. He's got 40 million reasons to say, okay, I'll play left. But he's said, I won't do it. I'm only a shortstop. I am, and now, you know, it's a pride thing and it's a whatever else, but if I'm the Jays and I don't want to be that cold or, you know, unforgiving or unkind because he's going through an injury thing, but still, there's no way he's coming back and being a quality player at okay. this point. Okay, so they don't want to play him at shortstop. They tell him he's going to start in left field. He goes for the first fly ball, pulls something in his ankle, and he collects $40 million. Well, there's that. So, does that not relate back to the way we started the show? You want to check their mental capacity. If they're that smart, maybe you don't want them. Well, that's not even a mental thing, that's a, but that's a physical thing. Yeah, I mean, look. It, You'd be smart enough to pull it off. He hasn't played a game this year. It, it's an, you, $20 million you, to do nothing. You point out a really interesting thing, though. Is, yeah, I've pulled a hamstring. He pulls and so the shoot. I, uh, I can't play this position anymore. I'm too sore. I'm too yeah. banged up, whatever else. I'm sure that there would be a reason. I, I looked at that one. I just thought, I, I don't know whether I feel like I'm impressed that he's that determined to come back and reclaim his status as one of the game's best shortstops, or if I think that's a kind of a sucky move to say, you either play me at shortstop or I'm taking my bag and going home, quite literally. That's that's literally what he said. Those premier athletes always want to go out on their own terms, and they always think they're good enough to be what they were, and I think it's a pride thing. I'm going to show you that I'm the best shortstop the Jays have got, and that's where I'm going to play. Let me ask you, uh, you have a golf tournament coming up. I wanted to get to this. I wanted to give you a chance to mention this. Yeah, we are, uh, we had a tough year last year. We had to go up to Harry Howell Arena, and, and the fan base was tough. This is for the Dundas Real McCoys. Yes, it is. And um, it was, uh, it was uh, it, somewhat crippling. 
And so we're going to do something we haven't done in 16 years. We're going to have a golf tournament and try and raise some money because the expenses of running these things is not for the faint of heart. And I've been to a lot of golf tournaments. I'm trying to get even with some guys by bringing them out to one of our tournaments. <laughs> and so we're going to charge $199, mostly because it's close to Brantford. And it's going to be at the world-famous Copetown Woods. And it'll include your lunch and your dinner and um, a putting contest for $10,000 and uh, a couple hole-in-ones. How far do you have to hit it to get 10000 bucks? Uh, I'm buying insurance on it, so I was think it's a mile, mile and a half, but I'm not sure. <laughs> the, the, the Pro Copetown Woods said I've never seen that before. So um, I used to do a lot of insurance stuff um, in Brantford when we had the minor pro team, and in Dundas we gave away 10000 bucks for putting a puck through the hole in the far blue line. So I think it's always a lot of fun to do things like that. So, And we're lucky enough, uh, an old buddy, Jim Ralph's going to come back and, and MC it and be the entertainment and tell us some funny stories and if you've heard Jim Ralph, you know he's worth 199 bucks just to do that. So it should be a great day of golf. Some old players are coming back. Some of our current players are going to play in it. And if you go to therealmccoys.ca, I'm sure there's a way to get in touch with me or fill it out or go to comchoice.ca. Just let me know. Or Does everybody get to watch you actually hit a few shots? Because, th- I mean, that that would be, forget Jim Ralph, that would be entertaining. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to putter around a little bit. I'm not sure everybody's going to want to see it. I'm going to probably just be wearing a Speedo that day, so I'll be easy to spot. Wow. You are the marketing guru. Yeah. That may not attract (laughs) anybody, so that won't be true. Yeah. yeah, You may want to rethink your marketing campaign if that's the strategy to get people out. Yeah, no, I won't do that. I promise. It'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be September the 14th. It's a Friday. Kids will be back in school and we're looking forward to having a lot of fun. Dawn in a thong. Hmm. It's quite it's quite a visual. It has a ring, doesn't it? It has a ring. That's about all it has. <laughs> the Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.